0: a lot. Um, our kids and our youth bring it in every week on a big brass pole and come up and light the candles. And then at the end of the service, they extinguish them, put it on the big brass pole again and carry it out to symbolize the light of Christ, coming into worship, lighting a candle that talks about Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and then sending us out in the strength of the Spirit to go and be Christ's light, Christ's light in the world. During Advent, we almost always have an Advent wreath with five candles on it that help us focus in on, and it's really hard to walk with a little candle in your hand and not extinguish it, if that doesn't preach. Uh, <laughs> we light Advent wreaths for hope and joy and peace and love, and then ultimately for uh, the Christ candle that God's love and life uh, took on flesh. At the Tenebrae service, we extinguish candles. We, uh, go around the, t- the, the stage, the chancel, uh, taking one out after another and turning off the lights and uh, making the room dark. All Saints Sunday, we, um, we fill this table with votive candles that we light uh, for one saint after another whom we've loved and lost. Uh, Christmas Eve, we take our little candles and try not to burn each other as we uh, hold them high or low depending on the song or depending on the verse of Silent Night. And we, we see this light in the midst of the quiet. Um, and we're kind of low church compared to the Episcopalians and the Catholics for how they use candles. You can't find uh, much of Scripture uh, that doesn't have some imagery of light and darkness. And it's this dominant metaphor that God uses to talk about what uh, people whose hearts are rightly aligned versus people who are not. We see God breaking forth as light into darkness. We see Jesus coming and declaring what it means to be light in the world. There's lamps lit in uh, Revelation as we uh, look at the unfolding of God's uh, end times. There's lamps in the temple that uh, Israel came to worship in that bear witness to God's presence. This little light of mine very simple little, well, it's a little harder than I thought it was. With The, the hymn version uh, is a, a little bit of a different tune, but the, the words are simple, right? Josiah and Parker can sing this without needing any help. They can sing a lot of things without needing help. That's their thing lately. <laughs> um, but uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I came down here because I can't really hear y'all when I'm up there and I ask you to talk to me, what does it mean... For your light to shine. This is that like interactive portion where it's gonna be really uncomfortable if somebody doesn't tell me (laughs) what it means for your light to shine. Um, To love like Jesus, okay. To share with people. Okay, to share. Help others. Okay. Positive energy. All right, see, I walked far away from you, Brie. I know you said something. What did you say? Positive energy. Positive energy, okay. So we've got love, witness, energy. We've got uh, serving others. Bree, the world. Okay, so something coming out of it to, to change the world. I love. That's actually our vision statement as a church. You know, we don't, we, we uh, strive as a mission to make disciples, but our vision is to change the world. Um, I love that answer. What else? Help us discover the other light faith. Okay. So, finding community within the light. That sounds all easy, right? We're not going to let our light be hid, right? We're not going to put it under a bushel basket. No, we're not going to let Satan blow it out. Right? All throughout Scripture, God's people are called to bear light to the world, to let their light shine. And they always get it wrong. Y'all want me to like relieve that tension, don't you? You want me to be like, they always get it wrong, but. Kathy was waiting for that but there. There is no but. They get it wrong, yet God remains faithful to them. The, the very beginning stories of Scripture in our, prime, our primeval history in this Ancient Near Eastern cosmology of Genesis 1-11 through are full of people getting it wrong and God remaining faithful. From Abraham on, it's full of people getting it wrong and God remaining faithful. From Jesus taking on flesh till his ascension, it's full of stories of people getting it wrong and God remaining faithful. Unless we think uh, Paul's early churches were just perfect, every one of them is written to a church who's got issues. They are the lengthy version of a Friday email where Paul is trying to fix something in the midst of uh, his churches. And uh, clearly, by the time we get to Revelation, things are not right yet. People are getting it wrong. Jesus has to write, uh, through St. John, the event, the, the Revelator. Um, I can't hold this, the whole service. I can't, can't do it. We'll write it again later, okay? Um, Jesus has to write these, these seven letters to bear witness to uh, light problems in the church a couple of them your light shining great man good for y'all uh, some of you your light is barely lit and you are just kind of hanging out in uh, kind of nominal nothingness and then a few of you uh, your light has been buried underwater and is gone satan did it out let your light shine should be easy God is there when we get it wrong. Uh, Today in the Old Testament text, we uh, have skipped all the way from the beginning of Isaiah all the way to Isaiah 58. Isaiah covers hundreds of years of Israel's history, and we have gone from this is what might happen to now we're sitting on the other side of what has happened. We are somewhere after the uh, Persians have, have kind of taken over Babylon and allowed Israel to begin to come back into their land. Through, uh, through Cyrus's edict, they come back, they bring their goods, they start to rebuild the temple, and things are still not good. Isaiah 58 bears witness to, light, uh, to life on the other side of exile. Surely, they're back in the land, things should be good. The pagan temples are not there anymore, there's no golden calves in their midst. Uh, they are finally in their land. Things should be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? They should be happy and, and go lucky. And yet this, this soon, after having returned from a generation of exile, the prophet's already going, time for another one of those emails. Y'all have missed it. And so uh, the prophet brings a new prophetic word to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah, uh, after their return. You were doing the trappings of shining your light. You were feasting, or feasting. Darren, you're supposed to correct me. Rachel, you're supposed to correct me too when I say things like feasting. They're fasting. It's a big difference, right? Uh, they are fasting. Marilyn's like, of course it's a big difference, Chad. Uh, <sighs> they are, f- I'm gonna say fasting again now, Marilyn. They were feasting, yes, <laughs> fasting. Kathy just got so uncomfortable for me and hugged him. I'm like, I can't believe he's doing this. They were fasting and being absolute jerks. They were fasting and taking advantage of each other. They were fasting and uh, just, just grinding into the ground those around them. And the prophet comes and says, this is the fast you think you wanted? God delivered you, delivered you, from exile. And now you fast and you treat each other this way. Here's what God desires your fast to be. And then spends a good bit of time talking about what it looks for people to bear their light in that day. What does God's fast look like? It looks like a fast that, instead of getting rid of food, gets rid of injustice. And begins to lay out a case over and over for where their fast is actually putting people more into bondage, more into um, being trampled upon. And what he uh, invites them to consider, what does it look like for your fast to be from the yoke of oppression? What God desires is for you to set people free, for you to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked, for you to do these things that bring justice in the world. This is a sign that your fast is a fast that God desires. And then leaves it at that. If your fast... Doesn't come with good for others, it is not the fast God wants and it is useless. Jesus picks this up pretty clearly in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In chapter 5, we have the text we had today about your light being a light on the city on on the hill, let your light shine brightly. And then the next chapter, he says, Here's all this stuff that I know y'all have been doing. Y'all have been fasting and looking weary you make sure your eyes are sunken in and and that people know how miserable you are because you're fasting you go and you pray these big things in the street and then you take advantage of them you go and you take these coins but it's not for good you need uh, to have your heart transformed not to do these trappings of religiosity This thing that Isaiah was preaching to this uh, nation that had just returned from exile is the same thing Jesus is preaching in the Gospels, and it's the same thing that Paul is preaching throughout all of his letters. It's the same thing that John and Peter and James and the author of Hebrews and John the Revelator talk about, which is religion without action is dead. Faith without uh, fellowship that is uh, full of compassion and kindness is dead. God doesn't want your feasts or your fasts if you're going to use the next moment to trample on somebody else. It's repugnant to Him. It is in Scripture a lot, this claim from the prophets and from the early church pastors, that God doesn't want you to do the uh, Christian actions if your heart is not transformed. Because then it's just a yoke of oppression for you, too. Not only are you trampling on other people, now your own soul is being worn down and uh, crushed. And so the invitation from Jesus and from Paul is to let the Spirit of God transform us that our fasts might become fasts of justice, where we break down the walls, where we set people free, where we, uh, in the power of God's Spirit, go into the world with love for others. James will say, uh, your faith without works is dead. As uh, the heirs of the Protestant Reformation, we absolutely believe in salvation by God's faithfulness alone. Uh, but the, the very uh, fruit of salvation is good works. No longer do we do these things to, to try to earn God's love, and the scriptures are full of people doing things because they think that's how you get God's love. Instead, we do these things out of response to God's love. There's a big difference between reading your scripture every day because you, you need to do those things that, that church people are supposed to do, versus I want to come and meet the revelation of God. There's a big difference between fasting and woe is me about your fast, and then fasting because you desire to draw closer to God. There's a big difference between uh, a prayer that is uh, self-serving and a prayer that is born out of love of God. And this is the invitation in this season of light to let God's spirit transform us. Because if if we think we're ever going to be the ones who get it right, Scripture bears witness that on their own, uh, humanity often doesn't get it right, and even with the Spirit, there are times where humanity doesn't get it right. And so our invitation in this season of Epiphany is for Christ, uh, God's Spirit to come and set us free from the fast of oppression, and set us free for fasts of justice. For God's Spirit to work in us that when we go forth, our light is shining no matter what. Often we have problems with the candles up here, right? Like the first candle I picked up, the wick was not long enough, and I was going to sit here and struggle to light it. Um, I could carry that thing all around the church, and it's not blowing out unless we really work hard, right? Um, What does it look like to let the Spirit fuel our light? What does it look like to trust God, to believe that he can fan the flames of goodness in the midst of everything going on in our world, that he can set us free to love him well, that he can go with and in front of and behind us wherever we go. What does it look like to trust God and care for others? It's the message of the prophets and it's the message of Jesus. So I ask you, friends, when we go forth today, are you going to let your light shine? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know how to keep it lit? answer to all those is to trust in God's grace and invite him in. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, to be a song we sing with four-year-olds, how often we get it wrong about this little light of mine. How often is our Uh, our actions out of line with our heart? How many times do we do the trappings of the church uh, while uh, feeling as far from you as we ever have? How often do we uh, light a light on Sunday morning and then we bring darkness on other days? Would you fill us with your spirit to sanctify us, Lord? to set us free from the power of sin and death, to fan the flames of the light of you in us, that when we uh, go out of this building, no matter where we are or what is going on, our lights might shine bright, that uh, they might not be extinguished, that we might bear witness to you. Lord, help us take seriously what it means to say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come, Lord Jesus, the light and life. Come and have your way. Amen and amen.